Jeremiah chapter 1. Anybody ready? So here in the word of God, beginning in verse number 4, he says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, So Jeremiah says, God had something to say, and he was talking to me. Anybody ever know that God will talk to you? Anybody ever know that you have the advantage today of the Holy Spirit? If you are a child of God and you are indeed washed in the blood, then you are also filled with the Spirit. And it is the Spirit of God that lives inside of you. He says that you are the temple of the living God. Therefore, the Holy Spirit of the living God lives inside of you and I and will speak to us if we'll just be patient enough to listen. Amen? So here's what he has to say to Jeremiah. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. So let me just go ahead and pause again and tell you what that means is before your mom and daddy ever got married. Before they ever had any idea that they were going to have children. Before anybody ever knew if you were going to be a boy or a girl or anything about you. God already knew you. There's never been a time that God did not know you. There's never been a time that God had not prepared this place for you and you for this place. So he says, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee. That means before you were ever born, I already knew you before you were ever conceived. I already had the purpose. But now here it is, before you were ever born, I sanctified thee. That means to be set apart for an holy purpose. So before you were ever even conceived, I already knew who you were going to be. Now, before you were born, now you've been conceived. Now you're a seed. You're an embryo. You're ready for birth. Now I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to set you apart for a holy use. You know what that tells me? tells me my tang's tangled up. It tells me that God has a purpose for your life. I ordain thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said... Then said I, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. Now, we ain't got to be all fully sanctified and overly religious this morning. Has God ever told you to do something and you said, I can't? I'm the only one. Nobody else had to raise your hand. Has God ever told you to do something and your answer was, but I can't? Can I go ahead and just give you a little bit of help and tell you, you're going to lose that. If he has to wake you up for a year every morning at 3.30, he don't mind. He ain't asleep anyway. You're the one that wanted to be. I can't doesn't work because God says, here's what he's saying. I purposed you for this. I'm not calling you to do something you can't do. I made you for this. I ordained you in the womb for this. I designed and created you for this. Don't tell me what you can't do. He says, but I can't. He says, I, I'm a child. But the Lord said unto me, say not, I'm a child. For thou shalt go. You might want to hang on to that part. God says, I'm going. It means you will go. I will go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. I want to bring a message this morning entitled, God made you to be you. God, thank you so much that you're even mindful of us absolutely blows my mind. The fact that you love us, the fact that you care, God, I still don't understand why you would have even put eight people on that ark and saved mankind and then put up with all this mess, God. 
If I looked at my life alone, I can't understand why you would put up with the foolishness and the sin and the wickedness. It just come through my life, God. But, Lord, you love us in spite of us. You've made a way, and it is your desire, God, that we be your people. You desire to call us your children. Thank you so much, God, that we have the right, the privilege, the pleasure to call you Abba Father. God, I pray you'd move in this place right now. God, I pray you do what only you can do. I know we have many of our people out on the road and vacations. I pray you keep a hedge of protection about them today. Many of them are watching right now on live stream. God, I pray you'd work even through it, God. Make it work that they might get a little bit of your word today. I pray your Holy Spirit will work on our hearts. Mold us and shape us and make us into the things that you'd have us to be. That we might walk out of here pleasing to you, God. It is our heart's desire to be what you want us to be. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I've recently, actually I've read several books in the past three weeks, so I really can't remember some of them. They're a little bit crossed up. But one of the books that I read, the author was specifically talking about be who you are. And so I was, I was reading this book, and I was encouraged by a lot of things that he's talking about. Be who you are. God ever give you kind of like pictures of your own life? And you start remembering, anybody have benchmarks in your life that you can look back to where God called you to different levels of service and different levels and different levels? Those are benchmarks. I remember when I became a deacon in this church. I, I was sitting there doing what I always did, and, I, and all of a sudden, Pastor Freeman decides that they needed more deacons, and, and he puts out, and everybody writes down names, and then they all put together and said, okay, from that, here's a list. Church, vote on this. And before I know it, I'm sitting there, and I'm a deacon at Faith Baptist Church. I remember I went to Paul Hutchins. He was chairman of deacon at the time. I said, what do I do now? He said, what do you mean what I do? I said, well, I ain't never been a deacon before. I've never been no deacon. He says, you already are. He says, you don't become a deacon to be a deacon. He says, you are a deacon and become a deacon. What that means is live your life. Be you. Be who you are. See, there are a whole lot of deacons, and I'll even say deaconess. That word's in the Bible. I can use that. In this church, you're giving all you can to God. You're serving God. You're serving the people. You're doing everything you can to be obedient to the Lord. You may not have a position or a title as deacon, which means you don't get to come to meetings and have to sit around and, and, well, listen to me. But you're already doing what God called you to do. He said, just be who you are. Well, several years later, God calls me to be a pastor. God, I am not a pastor. I don't know if maybe you missed a memo somewhere or what page you might have left the page out, but I am a mobile home mover. I move houses. I put them together. I take people that live here that get mad at their neighbor, and I move them over here so they can make another neighbor mad and put them back up. That's what I do. I don't know how to be a pastor. What do I do now? He said, be who you are. He said, I called you to be just like you are. I, I even remember one time in prayer, and I was talking, and, and all things of Brother Charles Chapman, and the way that he preached, and all that he did, and, and Pastor Freeman had just left. And I was praying, and, and God said, if I wanted to, Charles Chapman, God help us. Sorry, love you, preacher. If I wanted to, Charles Chapman, he said, I would have made two Charles Chapmans. If I wanted two Bruce Freemans, I would have made two Bruce Freemans. He said, I made you to be you. You pray, you listen to me, you do what I tell you to do, and I will work in my church through you. So I read this book, and the author says, be who you are. 
But then he said something that really registered with me. He said, if you're a coat and tie preacher, then be a coat and tie preacher. If you're a jeans and t-shirt preacher, then be a jeans and t-shirt preacher. Well, see that? That really registered for me, too, because in this world today, you got a lot of preachers in their skinny jeans, and, and somebody suggested I wear those, but skinny jeans and fat people don't go together. And, and I don't wear anything tight anyway. I need room to live. Yeah, I heard an amen in the house. Y'all wearing slacks, y'all think I'm just dressed up, and I'm just cheating. They're almost as comfortable as pajama pants. Almost. But that's who I am. You're in this world today. Everybody says, you want to reach the younger generation? You got to loosen up some. Let me tell you, if I get any looser, I'll run off the stage. I'm not uptight. I just like dressing the way I dress. I've never been in a church dressed any other way. My wife picks out my clothes. She won't pick out anything else. Ever since I got saved by choice, this is the way I go to church. I sit on the pew this way. Everything I do, if I come to a worship service, I'm not going to be dressed any other way because this is who I am. And I'm going to be very uncomfortable trying to stand up here and preach this book in a pair of blue jeans. There are jeans and T-shirts preachers. You know what? They are men of God, washed in the blood of the Lamb of God, name written down right over there beside mine, headed to the same heaven. They rejoice. They preach out of the same book. If they're good, they do. They preach out of the same book. They talk about the same God. They tell people about the same way to heaven, and his name is Jesus Christ. But they are jeans and T-shirt preachers. They'd be just as uncomfortable in a suit as I would be in jeans. So the whole thing is, be who you are. Just be what God has called you to be. God has purposed you to be who you are. So two of the books that I read talked about um, what God's plan would be for your life. And there's several quotes that I want to use here this morning. And because I'm going to use several, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give the name every time I'm telling you that two of the books were written by a guy named Mike Murdoch. And I'm going to use several examples here from it. But then he says that everyone is created to be who you are. But he said this. He said, everyone is created to solve a problem. Well, if you start thinking about everything that is created was created to solve a problem. Do you know why somebody created these sound systems and projectors? Y'all notice the difference? Dale told me that's what a $10,000 projector looks like. That's our judgment journey. Y'all like that? And that's what a $2,000 projector looks like. That was designed so that we could put words up and that people could see them. So we don't have to open the old hymn. There's nothing wrong with the old hymn. We just don't have to have them out there. And that way we donate them to other church to be a blessing to people that don't have that. Sound systems were designed so that everybody could fill a building this size and one person could talk without losing their voice. These kind of microphones were designed so that I don't have to hold a microphone so that people would have hands-free. Hearing aids were designed for people as they're losing hearing to, to enable. Eyeglasses were help for people. Matter of fact, even when you didn't need eyeglasses, that time comes. Amen? They call them reading glasses. That's just because the letters begin to get closer and closer together and they all run together. But, but everything was created to solve a problem. Problems are the reason for the creation, but the creator ultimately decides the purpose of the creation. Are you with me? 
When Henry Ford designed an automobile, he designed something to solve a transportation problem. The automobile did not get to decide its purpose. The creator decided what he was creating it for, and he decided what the name would be. When the Wright brothers made the airplane, they're looking for faster transportation. The products do not get to decide what they are created for. The creator decides why he is creating this product and what problem that it is to solve. It is God that created you and I. We are a product of God. We were made by God in his own image with a specific design. Only the creator can know what the creation was put here for. Am I getting anywhere? Y'all going to sleep yet? God wanted a personal relationship. So he created man in his own image. Amen. Everybody with me. But he wanted that personal relationship by choice. He could have made all the angels he wanted. He could have made everybody that had to worship. But he wanted a relationship. He wanted somebody to love him by choice. So he created man with a free will. But then God said there's a problem in that. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him help me for him. So he took the rib, closed up the flesh instead thereof, and he created a woman. So now that the two may become one flesh. Everything created was created to solve a problem for somebody, somewhere, in some kind of time. You were created to be a solution to somebody's problem. You are not a cosmic accident. You didn't just happen to land on this planet. There's no such thing as evolution. There was no Big Bang Theory. You did not come from a tadpole. You are a hand fashion created in the womb by God, purpose to achieve something. God put you here with a reason. Everything is created to be a solution. Everybody is not everybody's solution. But everybody is somebody's solution. God put you here to be a blessing to somebody. He told Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee. I had a plan for your life. Can I give you another little piece from the Bible? God is no respecter of person. That means if God knew Jeremiah before he formed him, he had to know you before he formed you. That means if God sanctified him in the womb for a purpose, he had to sanctify you. That means if God ordained him in the womb before he became out of his mother, then God had to have ordained you. If God did for one, he does for all. Jesus didn't die for one, he died for all. Amen? So what he does for one, he does for all. It is an absolute necessity that you and I discover what it is that God intends for us to be. First and foremost, you can't discover anything until you have a relationship with him. So there has to be a relationship with the Father through the Son that we might be indwelled with the Holy Spirit. You can't find who you're designed to be until you've accepted Jesus Christ and have that one-on-one -on -one relationship with the Father. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, he said, As God has distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone. Y'all looking, y'all got this up. I want you to pay attention because he's telling us the same thing. God hath distributed to every man as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any man called an uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. 
Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it, but if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's freeman. Likewise also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with the price. Be not ye the servants of men, brethren. Let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. You and I were created for a specific purpose. Now because of the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, because of the fall of man, because we have been separated from God by sin, our first purpose has to become born again. Amen, amen, and amen. You can't be anything until that which is born in the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So we must be born again to have that relationship. But here the entire host of heaven, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. That means that you were created for God's pleasure. God made you and I to be pleasing to him. You think about it. Moses was created to be a deliverer to God's people. He called him out of a burning bush, and he said, go back. Go to Pharaoh. Tell him to let my people go. He took David. He made David to slay Goliath and to lead God's people that they might be victorious over the Philistines. Naomi. Naomi went off into a foreign land, but she was made um, to, to be a caretaker and to take care of Ruth. Ruth was made to come back so that you and I might see the need and the necessity of a kinsman redeemer. Esther was created. Esther, this little Jewish girl, winds up up in the temple up there in the king's palace so that she might save God's people. Joseph. Joseph was a dreamer, but he wasn't just a dreamer. You know why we found out he was a dreamer as a boy? Because he is an interpreter of dreams when he was older. And we find out that God put him there to interpret the Pharaoh's dreams so that he might put him up there to build up so that he might later reach back and save God's people. Everything and everybody has a purpose. Everybody is designed by God to be something. You were created on purpose by God to be you. Well, that's good right there. You have your own fingerprints. You have your own DNA. You have your own personality. No one else can be you. No one else can do exactly what you were designed to do. God made you to be you. Now, I've shared with you before about when God had me doing mission trips, and that was my job. I was a deacon in this church, and I had a missions team, and we went wherever God told us to go. And I've told you about the time when God sent us into the jungles way down in Panama in the middle of nowhere. Where's Rich at? Rich sent some pictures. There he is. Rich sent some pictures of one of our mission trips. He sent, a, he sent some pictures to me yesterday when, when we were on a mission trip in 2006. I had hair. <laughs> it was about the same length, but it wasn't missing in action. Man. I got a lot of old buddies that disappeared since that day. But when we went to Panama, Rich and I went down there and Raquel went with us. But we're, we're in the jungle amongst the natives in the middle of nowhere. It's a 116-degree heat index. We had four days to build a house. Basically, two of us with Diana and Raquel handing us stuff. And at the end of the fourth day in the night, we locked the door to a house in the wilderness that we built for a missionary. I love that. 
I didn't mind the heat. I didn't mind the work, the before daylight, the after dark, the nonstop, the labor, the pouring it out. Man, I was good with that. I remember when we went up into, into the northern parts of Costa Rica to rebuild a church, and they were worried about us and told us how bad it would be. And, man, we saw the blessings of God. I loved all that stuff. But then all of a sudden, God comes up with this brilliant idea that I want you to go down to Pastor Glenn Morales' church, San Juan de Cabagra. No, not San Juan de Cabagra, Iglesia Bautista de Cortez, down at Pastor Glenn's church. And I want you to go down there, and I want you to do a vacation Bible school. I said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. God, I've seen you do a lot of crazy stuff. I've seen you deliver water just before we died. <laughs> I've seen you do some miracles. I've seen you show up. We, I've told you about the pizza place that we ate out in the middle of the rainforest in the jungle. There wasn't nothing out there but a road, and we had to walk through the jungle. And we come out, and there's an outdoor cooking pizza place in the middle of nowhere. Cooking on a brick oven. I mean, who knew? People worried we're going to starve to death. Well, they're eating pizza in the rainforest. But I don't, even do, I don't even do VBS where I speak the language. You want me to go down there with all them little Spanish-speaking children? I can't answer children's questions in America. Over there, at least I have an excuse. I didn't understand what they asked me in the first place. But that's where God gave me what I hold on to every day of my life. I did not make you to be everything. I did not make you to be all things to all people. You be who you are, but you go do what I told you to do. You surround yourself with people who make up for what you're not and go do what I told you to do. So three of us went and built a house in four days. I took 16 to go do a VBS. It takes a lot of people to be what I'm not when it comes to dealing with children. God has a plan. All we have to do is be a part of it. I remember when I became pastor, I said, God, what do I do now? I mean, I, somewhere in the portals of time, somebody came up with this brilliant idea that the pastor is chief cook and bottle wash. He is your marriage counselor. He is your financial advisor. He is your parent-child relationship fixer-upper. You need to work on that yourself. He is your doctor. He is your lawyer. I don't know who came up with all that stuff, but they are wrong. I've prayed about that. I've tried doing that stuff, and it's like butting my head against a wall. You know why? God said, because I didn't call you for all that. I called you to be a pastor. I called you to preach my word in its entirety. I called you to love my people. I called you to love my people enough to tell them the whole gospel truth. That's all you got to do. I'll take care of the rest. I never called you to be all things to all people. I never called you to be everything to everybody. Only I can do that. All you can do is point them to me. So all I can do is take this book and point you to this book. I'm not your marriage counselor. You don't want me to be your marriage counselor. Robin says, Amen. He does good to take care of the Yancey household. You know what? Let me just go ahead. I won't even collect counseling fees right here. I'll give you this for free. Let me give you marriage counseling 101. There's no reason for you to need to come to my office. See, God did not call me to be a marriage counselor. He called JB to be a marriage counselor. That's why I have a marriage counselor. That's JB's heart. That's his passion. God called him to be that. Why would I sit there and waste your time trying to solve something that I can't do anyway? God didn't call me to do that. I'm going to send you to the one that God gave because that's the best help I can give you. But let me just go ahead and give you all I've got so you can just skip this step and go straight to JB. You want to have a great marriage? You want to have a successful marriage? You want everything in your marriage to be good? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church 
and gave himself for it. You put God first and you put your wife second. You love God with everything in you and you love your wife right behind him. Wives, obey your husbands. Give honor to your husbands. Love your husbands. Love God first. Love your husband second. So here's what happened. Husbands, you love God. You love your wife. Wives, you love God, you love your husband. The two become one flesh with God as the centerfold, and that marriage is not easily broken. There's your marriage counseling. I'm not going to tell you anything different than counseling. Don't come in and whine to me and tell me about what all the problems are because the first thing I'm going to ask you is how's your relationship with the Father? Now they say, praise God, he ain't no marriage counselor. I ain't never coming to that joker's office. Let's go ahead and get finances out of the way while we're here, and then I'll get back to my message. God did not call me to be your financial advisor. He said, preach my book, tell them the whole truth. So here's the deal. God said, you want to be financially blessed, get your lazy posterior up and get a job. He said, the slothful will not eat. So don't be a bum and come here and expect us to give you stuff and say, this is God's work, because no, it's not. God said that we take care of the least of these, my brethren. So the first thing you got to do is get up and get a real job that has a paycheck. But here comes the part that ain't nobody going to like. When you get your paycheck, the first 10% belongs to me. Take the first 10% of your paycheck. It's called the tithe. And if you don't give it to me, he says, will a man rob God? It's in Malachi chapter 3. You you can read it for yourself. Will a man rob God? He said, where we rob God? He said, in tithes and offerings. So what he tells us very clearly, the first 10% ain't yours. You don't get to decide where it goes or what it does. The first 10% belongs to God. But tithes and offering means that on Wednesday night when we take up an offering in here, Wednesday night goes to benevolence that we might help those in need. When we do things, fundraisers around here, just like what he's talking about doing the meal, that is to help others. Those are offerings that's beyond your tithe. That's not the end of it. Philippians 4.19, everybody wants to claim, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, which is in Christ Jesus. That don't belong to you unless you're taking care of them. Those are missionaries around the world. So here's what God says. Get a job, earn a paycheck. The first 10% goes to God. Then you give offerings unto those to help those in need, and then you support missionaries that my gospel might be preached around the world, and then see if I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing and there'll be not room enough to receive it. Well, let me get back to the message. Now y'all know why I'm not a counselor. I don't even know where I was. I got to find it. The point is, the point, no one is intended to be everything for everyone. Pastors included. But everyone is attended, intended to be a solution for somebody. You are not here to solve everybody's problems. You were not put here by God to carry everybody's problem. But you were put here for somebody. You are exactly what God has ordered for somebody's problem. God put you where you are. Listen, good or bad, mountain or valley, storm or sunshine, you are where you are by God's design. God put you there, and in the darkest valley of your life, you just might be there because that valley is the only place that you could have met somebody else that needed you. God designed everybody for something. Something else in the book that Murdoch says here. He says, God has qualified you to be a perfect solution to someone else's problem. He says, but it's up to them to recognize it. 
That makes a lot of sense. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came as the promised Messiah that was written. He was foretold. He came. He came to the Pharisees. He came to his own first, and his own received him not. So he came to the Pharisees. He was their deliverer, but they did not recognize who he was, so he did them no good. You, you, take, um, you take the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh, even though this is an unsaved, ungodly man, he, he worships these little G-gods. He doesn't even believe in the one true God, but yet he recognized who Joseph was. He recognized that he was the interpreter of his dreams and that there had to be something special about him. And every time he blessed Joseph, his life in turn was blessed. So he had to recognize. You think about when Jesus walked on this earth. There was thousands of people who were sick. I'm sure there was hundreds, probably even thousands who had leprosy. Hundreds, probably even thousands who were blind. But all of them were not healed. Only the ones who recognized that he was the healer. They have to recognize who you are. A few minutes ago I said the creation doesn't get to make the decisions. The creation is created to be what the creator has purposed it to be. Your purpose is not for you to decide, but to discover. Anybody hear that? Your purpose that God has put you here for, your purpose is not for you to decide, but to discover. You don't get to decide what God made you to be. You don't get to decide what God created for you. Enter into a relationship with God the Father through the Son to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then through prayer, the Holy Spirit reveals to you what God's plan for your life is. Each one of us have different talents for a reason. We've been diff given different gifts for a reason. You're designed specifically to be you and no one else can be you. That means that no one else can do exactly what you're supposed to do. So his plan for your life is not your decision. Obedience is your decision. The plan's already there. That's not, that's not for you to come up with. Obedience. What will I do? Will I be what God has purposed me to be? Will I be what God has designed me for on this planet? His plan for your life will require a personal decision for you to surrender. God decides what God wants you to do. Amen? You get to decide your level of obedience. So think about it this way, 2 Peter chapter 3. The Bible says in verse number 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. And everybody knows that word long-suffering means patient. God is very patient toward us. God has to be patient toward us. God had to be patient because at first we were lost, but while we were yet sinners, amen, so he loved us, and God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ came and paid for my sin debt, purchased me at Calvary, but he had to be long-suffering. He had to be patient with me long enough while I was lost to give me time to get saved. But I'm not sure that I haven't required more patience as a child of God than I did out there as a sinner. Because I let God down so often, so many times. But here's the deal about long-suffering. It's not just patience. Long-suffering means patient to those who do not deserve it. Hello. Being patient with those who do not deserve it. So what that's telling me is that he's being very patient with us, even though we don't deserve it. 
But he goes on and he tells us why he's so long-suffering. Because he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That means that it is God's perfect will that not one person will ever die and go to hell. Yet every single year, millions of people will die and go to hell because of their choices. Life is about choices. God will not force his salvation on you. It is the free gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the free gift of God that is offered to you freely. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. Here's the gift of salvation. It's free. You want it, take it. But if you do not take this gift, do not come to my house. Depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity. I never knew you. So the gift is free. There it is. It's offered. In order for you to have the gift of God, you must accept the gift of God. You must receive. The The same thing is true with what God has designed you to be. You have to accept God's purpose for your life. God is calling you to do things. God has a plan for each one of us. We are the product of God. He is our creator. He is our designer. He is our redeemer. He is the only one who knows the will for my life. He's the only one that knows the will for your life. Can I tell you that Satan hates God's plan for your life? Satan hates God's will for your life. Satan has a great fear of you finding what God put you here for. Satan has a great fear of you becoming all that God has called you to be because Satan knows that will destroy parts of his kingdom. Satan will do everything he can to tear down your world, mess up your life, to keep you in disarray so that you will not find God's perfect will for your life. Let me just give you a little example of what God's will can do through somebody that would just find their way. I've mentioned abortion several times lately, so I'll just use that example because somewhere in time, somebody in the U.S. court system decided they had the right to play God and that they had the right to choose whether an unborn child lives or dies. We all on the same page? If you're not, you need to change pages because I ain't. Somewhere, somebody decided that they had the right to choose whether or not unborn children get to live in this society. See, I believe that somewhere in some time, God will raise up someone who will become the voice of the unborn child. And God will empower him to go to the places he has to go to put a stop to the senseless murder of these unborn babies. Who knows how many Billy Sundays have been murdered in the womb? Who knows how many Billy Grahams have been murdered in the womb? When we talk about the problems, God sent us a deliverer like Moses. God sent somebody to reach our younger generation that's over there having church right now and our even younger ones back here. God sent, how do we know that God hasn't sent multiple deliverers to our young people, but we keep killing them in the womb? The very one that had the ability to reach. But you say, that stuff don't happen. Then you tell me why the devil was so adamant about killing Moses. He knew that God was sending somebody here and there was a purpose and he didn't know who it was. So he just decided, let's just kill all male children as soon as they're born. So he's moved it up a step. Now let's just kill them before they're even born. 
So there has to be a purpose that everybody's there. The devil wants to stop you. God has ordained somebody to put a stop to, to this, this senseless killing of babies. So the devil has this great fear because someone can be obedient. Now, here's the deal. The devil knows that this is the most blessed nation on the top side of this earth. God has blessed this nation beyond measure. We, we have stuff we don't even need just because we want it. But through the blessings, God has blessed. This is one nation under God. I said this is one nation under God, blessed by God, and been blessed in a way that we've sent literally thousands of missionaries all around the world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to tell a lost and dying world. But the devil also knows that if this country continues to live in open sin, God will have to bring judgment on this nation. The devil knows that. No matter what your purpose is, the devil fears you finding God's plan for your life and living it. So how do you know what you've been called to do? Some of you already know. Some of you are already laying awake at night. Some of you already know what God's calling you to do. Some of you are in a training season. Some of you are in a holding pattern right now. You're just circling, waiting on landing orders. But some of you want to know, what is God's will for my life? How, how do I know God's plan for my life? How, how can I begin to even discover it? How do I even pray that I might know? Well, a couple of clues here that Murdoch gives. He says, number one, the things that break your heart. That's an indicator of things that God sent you to solve. He says, everything doesn't bother everybody. But everybody is bothered by something. And the things that bother you greatly can be an indicator of the problem that you've been sent here to solve. He says, what makes you cry is a clue to a problem that God has appointed you to change. You think about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was heartbroken. When he got the conditions back from Jerusalem, the walls were burned down, the city line ruins, and the people were, were without. They were out there. They were homeless. And, and Nehemiah was heartbroken. The Bible says that he wept bitterly. He wept for days because his heart was so broken. He became passionate about taking care of the problem. And we find that he went back and he rebuilt the walls and restored the people. You think about Ezra even before him. Ezra was heartbroken because God's people were separated from God. They were disconnected from God. And Ezra knew that the only way that people could get with God is to be in one with God. And the way that God communed with his people in that day was through the temple. So Ezra went back and rebuilt the temple. Everybody has a purpose. So what are the things that you're passionate about? What are the things that you know needs to be fixed? That God continually burns your heart, that breaks your heart, that you know that is a clue to what God may use you to solve. But then he gives another one. He says, what are the things that you love? He says somebody gave him this example, and so he uses it. So if somebody gave it to him and he uses it, that means I can use it. What, what about your job? What about where you work, where you spend most of your time at work? Everybody says amen to that one. If every job in this country paid exactly the same, every job in this country pays $10 an hour, 40 hours a week. No more, no less, no raises, no overtime. Every job, $10 an hour, 40 hours a week. 
It doesn't matter if you're a neurosurgeon or if you're a janitor down at the sewer plant. It doesn't matter if you're an NFL superstar or if you're a high school soccer coach. Every job in America pays $10 an hour. Are you doing the job you would do? If money's not a factor, are you doing what you would do? Are you doing what you believe that you are purposed to do? Or are you just making another day? So the simple question is, do you feel like you're doing what God has purposed you to do? Ironically enough, yesterday I'm just going over some notes and I'm, I'm sitting there studying and I'm looking at this and I'm reading some scriptures and I pulled up something in my phone to look at. And while I was there, Adrian Rogers' devotion had come in. I hadn't read it yet. So I read Adrian Rogers' devotion yesterday and this is what it says. Did you know that the best argument for Christianity and the best argument against Christianity is your life? Not only are you a witness for Jesus, but you're part of the evidence of his reality. Your life needs to be exhibit A. He says, what will turn your community to God is the evidence of a life transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. He said, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the religious leaders had a problem on their hands. Lazarus was living proof of the power of Jesus, that he was who he said he was. Many believed in him, talking about Jesus, because of what they witnessed in Lazarus. His life was now a testimony that they couldn't deny. So to take what Adrian Rogers and Mike Murdoch says and merge them together, what would happen if every Christian became focused on living the life that God chose for you to live before you were ever even born? What would happen if every Christian just began living like a Christian? Rogers says the world would have no choice but to stop and take notice. One thing that no one can deny is the transformation that took place in your life and mine. If you truly got saved, you better pay attention. If you truly got saved, you could not keep on living the way you were living. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If the Holy Spirit of God truly moved in and this became the temple of God, you could not keep living like you belong to the world. You could not keep living that old lifestyle. You could not keep going to those same old places, using that same old language, telling those same old jokes. If you truly got saved, everybody around you had to notice the difference. There had to be a change. Anybody around know what I'm talking about. Did anybody, after you got saved, did anybody have anything to say about you? Things like, let's just see how long this lasts. Wonder what happened to him. Wonder why Donald don't come around over here anymore. Have you talked to Donald lately? Have you noticed, man, he won't, he won't, even, he won't even listen to a bad word. If things didn't change, then you couldn't have gotten saved. Now, that's just book. You don't get a little cheat sheet. You don't get a little simple prayer with your mouth and nothing changes in your heart. Your heart's got to change. 
You've got to surrender your life. And if you're truly saved. So, so here's a radical thought. What if every one of us accepted the will of God for our life and became what God had purposed us to be so that there was a radical change in the way that we acted so that everybody could see it, it would change the world. Yes. See, they, they can argue a lot of stuff. They can argue this book. They can take a little passage and use parts of it and take it out of context. You got to have from in the beginning to amen. You got to have it all. Don't give me bits and pieces. But they cannot argue the change that took place in you. They cannot deny what they saw in your life. Everything changed. But that was just step one. Every level is up. God did not call you and I to be a stalemate. Yes, he called us that we might be redeemed. Yes, he put us out here. He sent Jesus Christ that you and I might be saved. But he did not save us to sit soaking sour on a church pew. Gravity holds these pews down just fine. It needs no help. God didn't make us here just to hold down the pew. God gave us the ability to reach a lost and dying world. What if every one of us became what God wants us to be? Well, what about this? Do you even desire? Do you desire to be what God wants you to be? Do you think right now, do you think right now that you are exactly where God wants you to be? I mean, it's okay to say yes to that question. Or do you think that, that you are where God wants you to be right now? Do you know what God wants you to be in the next step? I'm sure your life's just like mine. Just about the time you think you're halfway comfortable where you're at, God says, get up, it's time to go. I got something else for you to do. My prayer is that everything he has me do is right here in this church in LaGrange, Georgia. But my number one priority is to be obedient to Jesus Christ, to be obedient to God the Father. Do you want to know God's will for your life? Go, go ahead and stand this morning. I'm, I'm going to stop right here. I may, I may, there may have to be a part two to this. What time is it? Yeah, there may be a part two on this one. We'll, we'll see. But right now, are you thankful that God has washed away your sin? Are you thankful that you're able to be called a child of the King? It's okay to just take time and tell Him thank you. Are you thankful that you're no longer what you used to be and that God is now using you? You, you just think, even just filling in places at Judgment Journey or He's Alive or being in Sunday school, everything that you're doing is a place that God is using you. Are you in the perfect will of God? Are you in the place that He wants you to be? Do you want to do more? There's something inside of you that says, man, I want to do more. I just don't know what. Well, come down and talk to the one that can tell you. Because God's the only one that can give you His will for your life. And say, Lord, I just want to know. I want to know exactly what you want me to be. I, I need your strength to be what you want me to be today. I want to live in your perfect will today. But God, I don't want to miss a day. I, I don't want to miss an opportunity. I, I don't want to miss something that you had planned for my life. I can remember one time when I was really unhappy with some stuff. I even thought I might have to move. Man, it would kill me had I not listened to what God told me to do. 
if I had left here because of my unhappiness and said, God, I hear what you're saying, but I can't take it. I got to go. And then I would have gotten to heaven and God would have shown me, if you'd have just stayed, I was going to use you to be a pastor of Faith Baptist Church. I had a season there for you. I had something for you to do. And this is the rewards you would have had in heaven if you'd have just stayed and listened. It'd break my heart to think that God had something for me to do and I missed it. I've missed a lot of opportunities. I believe that. I believe I've not done a lot of the things that God wanted me to do. Probably done some things He didn't want me to do. For the rest of my life, I want to be pleasing to God. I want every day to count. I don't want to waste one of them. Can I, can I just ask you this morning, the first and foremost of the will of God is you cannot know the will of God until you become a child of God. And you cannot become a child of God unless you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. It is the name of Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's his own words. If you've trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you know that because you know there was a change took place in you. If a change didn't take place, you might want to talk to the Lord right now. If you're in doubt and salvation, that's not from the devil. The devil will never cause you to doubt your salvation because he wants you to believe that you're going to heaven all the way to hell. Do you know that you know you've trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? That has to be the most important decision you ever make in this life. There must be a confession of your sins. Lord, I am a sinner. There must be a confession of your own mouth. You can't be saved until you realize that you're lost. There must be a confession. Lord, I am a sinner. And I'm asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and save my soul. Only Jesus can do that because it's his own precious blood that washes away sins. Nothing else washes them away. Do you know that you know that you've trusted Christ? If you haven't, you ask him this morning, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you to save my soul in Jesus' name. I just want to be saved. I want to be a child of God. I'm asking you to cleanse me in the blood of Jesus now. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life that I might be a child of God. You ask God to save your soul from your heart. You're just as much a child of God as anybody else in this place. You watch on live stream. You watch on television. You say the same prayer, but it's a conviction of the heart. You don't get to speak words of the lip. This isn't fireproof insurance that we're selling. You don't get to say, God, save me from the fire, and that's the end of it. No, if he is Lord of your life, if he's Savior of your life, he's also Lord. That means he has complete control. We surrender everything to him.